everyone, we're on it. So how we are as women and how we are as a mother and daughter is completely defined by the family environment we live in, the cultural environment we live in, that and the society that we live in. In terms of what the, our, our family and our culture and the society defines, what does it mean to be female? We're on it. Special episodes that answer listeners' questions. Hello, everyone. I'm Denise Gorant. Welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Thanks for joining us as we speak with experts, authors, parents, and even young adults to explore the transition from parenting our young children to building healthy relationships with our now adults. Hopefully we'll grow together, learn about ourselves, our young adults, and of course, when to bite our tongues. We are so happy you're with us. So let's get started. Hey listeners, before we get into this podcast, I want to share with you a great deal we have for listeners. During COVID, I found these amazing wireless comfort bras from Shaper Mint. I contacted the company and they are willing to give our listeners 20% off just by using the code BITEYOURTONGUE at checkout. We promise you'll love these. They have lots of other products, but I can't get enough of their bras. And with our discount, they are under $29. You just can't beat them. More about this promo in our episode notes and on social media. That's ShaperMint, S-H-A-P-E-R-M-I-N-T dot com, and use the code BITEYOURTONGUE. Now let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. As you can imagine, we're so thrilled when we get listener feedback, and it's happening so much these days, thanks to all of you. Recently, we loved one that we got. It was such a great compliment. The listener said, where have you been the last 15 years? I've been searching for books, podcasts, and all over the internet for real support on parenting adult children. Nothing. Then she proceeded to ask if we might explore more about the mother-daughter relationship. And she expressed some thoughts and struggles she was having with her own adult daughters. In her message, she said, She imagined that when her children got older, she would become closer with them, like other people told her. But instead, she feels like she's biting her tongue so much and really missing real conversations. She also said, the minute she opens her mouth, they attack her. Well, listener, I hope the guest we have today will help give you some answers and also be helpful for others. Ellen, by the way, I wanted to ask you, did you get your Bite Your Tongue mug? I did. I love it. I'm going to use it tomorrow morning. I just got it today in the mail. Oh, good, good. Well, we've gotten a lot of good feedback and a lot of people are getting them for Mother's Day. I just hope they don't give them to their (laughs) mother-in-laws. Anyway, um, so Ellen, when this episode drops, you're just going to be returning from Hannah's wedding. And as you know, we have a ed- wedding episode coming up, so we're going to want to hear all about it when you get back. But first, let's talk about the mother-daughter relationship. 
Well, this is a tough one, Denise, and so many people share the same feelings as the listener who wrote to you. You know, mother-daughter relationships are really tough. A lot of us didn't have great roadmaps in our own relationships with our mothers, and those of us who had great relationships with our daughters when they were young, our daughters grew up and became independent people. It's hard to negotiate that transition between a close mother-daughter relationship, if you even had one to begin with, and an independent mother and daughter relationship, one that's very separate. So I'm very eager to hear some answers to these questions. Why is this sometimes such a rocky relationship and what can we do about it? Today, we're very happy to welcome Rashka Hasseldine, who has a lot of experience, over 20 years experience listening to women and girls from around the world talk about their lives and relationship. Rashka is the creator of the mother-daughter attachment model, which uncovers and explains the hidden dynamics between mothers and daughters, and is also the author of two books, The Silent Female Scream and The Mother-Daughter Puzzle. We'll have more about Rashka and links to her website and much more in the episode notes for you to read about and learn more about. But right now, we're just very excited to hear what she has to say. So welcome, Rashka. We're happy to have you here. Is there anything we missed? Just in your introduction that you'd like to add? Well, thank you, Denise and Alan. Uh, it's an honour and I'm delighted to, to meet you and to be part of this podcast. Um, I can talk about mothers and daughters forever. So <laughs> <laughs> this is so exciting. Um, no, I mean, thank you for the introduction. The only thing is uh, I spend most of my time teaching now. I, I created the Mother Daughter Coaching International Training Organisation where I train therapists and coaches how to work with mothers and daughters because it's missing in the syllabus. Therapists are not, counsellors and psychotherapists and social workers are not trained. Mother-daughter relationship is not on the syllabus and I'm the only one in the world teaching. It, it's shocking. It really is shocking. I think there are flashpoints within the mother-daughter relationship in terms of like teen, teenage years is a common one, but also when the daughter leaves home, goes to college, daughter gets married daughter has a baby, you know, when the mother goes through menopause. So, and all of those, and then when the mother, you know, is elderly. So there are, these are, these are stages in the mother-daughter relationship, but there can also be flashpoints. And particularly when the daughter has a baby, when the daughter gets married, leaves home, those are big ones. They are actually opportunities because it shows that something's not working in the relationship and there needs to be a change within the dynamics in the relationship in order to navigate this new stage in terms of what they need. So if it becomes more rocky, then in a sense, the needs of the individual is not somehow being met within the relationship. Something, something's not gelling and it's not happening now. It's been happening for a while. There's always a long history to this. And that's what we want to discuss. And we certainly want to stick to sort of leaving home, the baby, the marriage for the adult parent. But, you know, you open your book with the struggles that you had with your own mother. And then you say in your book, when you were having your, and I don't know if it was your first baby or your only baby, when you heard the midwife say you were having a daughter, a chill ran through your body and a voice in your head said, if I don't get my shit together, this new little girl isn't going to be have yeah. a happy life. So what sparked that? And then what did you do when you decided to, get your shit together so this daughter could have a decent life? <laughs> and how young does it start? I mean, if you don't have a good relationship as an adult, did you mess up and you can't repair that? Well, in terms of well, in terms of what was going on for me, I was only 26 at the time and Olivia was my second child. 
And my relationship with my mother had wasn't wasn't good through my teenage years and was getting progressively worse. And I think that was an awakening. I think the fact that she was a girl, really, I could I had this awakening, and I really and I could see the selflessness. The women in my family were martyrdom like a badge of honor. The lack of you know, this is a complete self-neglect and the way that women are neglected in, emotionally neglected within the generation of home. I could see how much I did. I had actually internalised a lot of that. And I knew I didn't quite know how to fix it at that point, but I knew that something had to change in terms of how women were perceived and how we perceive ourselves. You know, it's so interesting because my first child was a, was a girl and I don't think I would have gone to graduate school if I hadn't had a daughter. I had the same sort of experience you did where I thought, wow, I've got to be a different role model than my mother and my grandmother were, who were very intelligent, talented, wonderful women who just never did anything with their lives because they really couldn't for various reasons. But there was something about having a daughter that just made me think, I've got to figure out who I am because I owe that to her. And I mean, we could talk about whether or not that's okay too, as no, a woman, no, that, because I heard always to her and not myself. But I, but I had the same experience. Yeah. So, and I just want to add to this before you answer: is I struggle with this because I read the book, and I'm still trying to figure out why it matters so much. Because you know, for so long, it's been the mother's job is to take. You know, the, the child comes first. The mother will step in front of a truck to save her daughter or her son or whatever it might be. And your book kind of contradicts that and says it sets you up for a bad relationship with your daughter. Why is that? Let's look at it in terms of mothers and daughters and I do not relate in a cultural vacuum. So how we are as women and how we are as a mother and daughter is completely defined by the family environment we live in, the cultural environment we live in, that and the society that we live in. In terms of what the, our, our family and our culture and the society defines, what does it mean to be female? Is it okay for a female to say what she feels, what she needs, to be angry, to, to be assertive without being, or, or, do, or do women, are women expected to put everybody else first, put themselves last, be ever so accommodating of everybody, neglect themselves, be self-sacrificing? So it's about gender roles in terms of what it means to be female. And that's what sets mothers and daughters up. How does it set mothers and daughters up? I just don't get that because I was definitely the one that if there was one burnt hamburger, I would take it. I made sure everybody else had the good hamburger, but oh, just, I don't care. You know, just to give peace with everyone, I'll take the burnt hamburger. So I don't understand the correlation. I'm struggling with that correlation. Okay, let's look at the burnt hamburger. Oh, firstly, let's, let's look at, Women are not heard and they have do, are expected to do all the listening and the caring. How then can a mother and daughter have a relationship where they understand and listen to each other? Listening then, being listening, being listened to, being known becomes a battleground because the idea is women are listeners, they're not listened to. So they don't know how to, in a sense, listen, the experience of being listened to, but they're also starving hungry to be heard. And that plays out between mothers and daughters. If women are supposed to be, are neglected and, and, and are not don't receive the, the emotional support they need, then that plays out between the mother and daughter in terms of they fight then who gets support in the relationship. So whatever's going on out there plays out in the family and within the culture. 
plays out between the mother and daughter. So let's look at the burnt hamburger, right? Okay, okay. You and actually, I you know, I I had an eating disorder disorder through you know late teens, twenties, and actually it was in my early thirties when I was in, in college. I realized that my daughter was watching me not eat a piece of pizza, even though she knew I wanted it. Eat the burnt hamburger, so to speak, even though you know she she wouldn't have wanted. So she's watching you eat stuff that she knows that you really would rather have the nice, well-cooked, juicy one. So what she's learning is that women, by at a certain age, and particularly when we become a mother, we cannot have exactly what we want. We cannot eat the kind of hamburger we want. We cannot have the pizza even though we want it. But how does that affect... Go ahead, Ellen. I was going to say, I think that the difference between males, our sons and our daughters, is that we reflect them and they reflect back at us in a way that's much more concrete and literal. So, for example, we see ourselves in them. They see ourselves directly in us, whereas a son can sort of say, well, that's what women do, but I'm going to go on down my own path of identity, whereas the, your daughter is, is looking to you directly to say, well, what, is, it, yeah, what does yeah, it mean what, to be female? Yeah. What are females allowed and what are females not allowed? Are we allowed to live a full life and be in charge or do we have to fit around everybody else and be ever so accommodating? And the and the downside of that is when mothers are expected to put themselves on the back burner all the time, it doesn't mean to say that, you know, it's, especially when the baby's young, child's needs are very high on your priority list. But if the mother is needs never get acknowledged within the family and the mother has no needs, what happens? It's the daughter and often the eldest daughter is given the role, and often this is unconscious, given the role to listen for mum's unvoiced needs. So what then happens is the daughter becomes an expert at listening for what mum really wants but can't say for herself and won't allow herself to say for herself. And that is a generational issue because then actually the daughter becomes an expert on the mother but not an expert on herself. So how does that relate to just a common, like, you know, one of the listener questions was, because this is a huge listener issue. You know, as you say, it's an epidemic. There's an epidemic going on with mother-daughter relationships. So the woman says her daughters are in her 30s and they always seem to pick a fight. They always want to be right. And they're very oppositional. The only way to have any kind of discussion with them is just shake my head and say things like, that's nice. Her son is very different. What have I done wrong? She asks. So I would suggest that if in a family where the daughters, the, the mothers and daughters are fighting to be heard. Both together. The, both of yes. them are fighting to be heard. Okay. So it's possible that in that family, male needs are prioritized. Men are listened to, but women are not. So in, what do you do? Can you bring that up to your daughter? Can you say, maybe I've set the wrong pattern here? Or, you know, how do you approach that? Well, what I do is... Um, in my book, The Mother-Daughter Puzzle, I have the mother-daughter history mapping exercise. And right. that, is, that is really good at explaining and, sh- and in a sense, mapping out what's happened generationally. So if a mother and daughter, the adult daughter, are struggling to really hear and, and, and understand each other's reality, there is a bigger picture, family picture, that would have happened between the mother and the grandmother, the grandmother and the great-grandmother. In that generational family, women are generally not heard. And if you think about it, our mother's generation, my generation, mother's generation, women, did they ask, what do we feel? What do we need? What do we desire? That language wasn't there. 
it's just so funny because I get everything that you're saying and I actually did the mapping and everything, but I think it's something you have to do with your daughter. So your daughter has to be open to kind of doing that, right? No, no, no. You can do it by yourself. You can. Okay. It would be good to do it, your daughter to do her own. And right, then right, right. The differences and similarities are. That's a good idea. Yeah. But if it's a highly conflicted relationship, um, it's best to go to a therapist and have it done with with them or a, right, or a, right. or a coach. But because your map is your map. It's your perception of what it was like to be your mother's daughter. Right. Your right. mother's relationship with her grandma. Now, your daughter would have her own perception of what it's like to be your daughter and your her perception of what it was like your relationship with your mother, her grandmother. There'll be a lot of similarities, but there will be differences, which, are, which will be interesting to discuss in terms of what you each see, in terms of there doesn't need to be consensus between mothers and daughters. There just needs to be understanding. And I think sometimes women, especially if we're not heard enough, we need the other to agree. There needs to, there, we, we desire consensus. That consensus is seen, seen as, oh, I'm, I'm okay, I'm right. When in fact, actually, there just needs to be understanding, even if there's difference. Yeah, it's, it's that empathy. It's being able to look at somebody else's journey and someone else's experience and empathize with it, even if you don't agree with that you know, the way you, you're viewing it as a daughter is not the same way as your mother would view it for herself. I think that's really a powerful activity. Exactly. I call it stand in your shoes. To standing yeah. in your own shoes, standing in your daughter's shoes, because these generational differences. So do you think some of it is not just being hurt emotionally, but a little bit of lack of self-esteem? Like, I think that as a mother, if you don't have self-esteem, it impacts your parenting and then maybe impacts your relationship with your daughter down the road. Do you think that's true? I think it's hard to have full self-esteem if you're, if you're in an environment where you're not hurt. Yeah, it does sort of show something when, I mean, it's one thing to say, I'm taking the bird hamburger because I don't want to hear all the complaining, okay? Right, right, right. I'm making myself a salad because I don't want the burnt hamburger. But it's another thing to take the burnt hamburger because what that sort of does show is that there's a little bit of that lack of self-esteem. It's sort of showing, it's showing caring on one hand, but the lack of well, and it's showing a little bit of martyrism, don't you think? Like, I'll take the burnt hamburger because I suffer for everybody. Yes. And that that's not good for the mother-daughter relationship. But because tell me how it doesn't, tell me how that impacts then the mother. I mean, I guess you've sort of done that, but let's go with, so a lot of people write in and say, everything I say, my daughter, you know, like she says she wants to be right, or she's judgmental, or anything I say, she takes the wrong way. And, and I don't want to say, I don't know what a really... I'm not in a situation where I have a horribly conflicting situation with my daughter, but I think a lot of people have the situation where there's not an intimacy that they would like to have. So there's respect and love and congenial conversation, but there's not the intimacy. Can that happen? Can it not happen? What are ways to get to it? That sort of thing. Well, again, mothers and daughters... It's looking below the surface at the themes because mothers and daughters, what they if you look at only the contents of what they fight over, you'll get nowhere. You actually have to look at how women are heard or silenced, how women are emotionally neglected and the starva- emotional starvation that results of that. You have to look at what's going on generationally and then you can see why they're struggling to listen to each other and why certain patterns of arguing keep repeating over and over again. If you just look at the content, you can be in the therapist office for years because 
all the time there is a theme that connects the arguments that they have. And often there is a pattern to it. You talk a lot about, even if you're not using always the word desire, There's the, that's a thread that runs through a lot of this. When we're talking about self-esteem, even we're sort of talking about desire and acting out on our desires. Where do you feel like that fits in? Because I do feel like we learn about desire from looking at our mothers. What is it that they desired and, and didn't get, or exactly. maybe they got too much of? Anyway. I don't know if they got a lot in the generations prior to us. True. But yes. that is huge. And often that can lead to maternal jealousy, mothers being jealous of the daughter's opportunities. And that is so misunderstood, particularly not only within society, but also in the therapy world. Because what maternal jealousy actually shows is that mum mum is jealous of something that the, the daughter's educational opportunities, her the fact that maybe she married a spouse that was that's more loving and the mother never got the love that she desired. So it is about the daughter's getting what the mother desired, whether it's education, career, love, whatever it is, but never got to have and never got to be. How does that play out then? Well, actually, often that, firstly, I see that as grief, but usually it plows, plays out. I very rarely do, do I hear mothers admit that they're jealous, but it usually really? is about criticism of the daughter, not being able to celebrate the daughter, emotional distance. Can't, can't engage with the daughter. So the daughter thinks, what have I done wrong? Well, the daughter hasn't really done anything wrong. She's just showing mum what she never got to have and never got to be. And if you think about it, how many of our mother's generation and our grandmother's generation didn't get the opportunities they desired, didn't get the experiences, they, they didn't get to be who they wanted to be because of society, their generation didn't allow it. Yeah. And that's so painful for some mothers. I can see with, you know, I'm lucky enough, my mother is still alive. And that's the other issue here too, is that some of us who are parenting adult daughters also have older adult mothers all at the same time. So this, this is playing out in both sides, like, and it's complicated, but I could, I could see it in my own, you know, like some things are just too painful for my mother to really enjoy. She just can't do it. Because it's too hard for her because it means grieving something that she didn't get herself. Yeah. We're usually not aware of that when we're looking at our kids because we want them to do get better. You know, we want them to get everything we didn't. But jealousy is such a, it's such a silent. It really is. Silent thing. And, yeah. and, and I think actually patriarchy really silences it because if you gave it a voice, I mean, the grief that we would hear and the lost scientists, writers, politicians, in terms of what society has lost and really connecting the dots in terms of we have the society we have today because our mothers and grandmothers were not allowed to engage in society in the way that they they were not allowed to give their gifts and have their desires met. So I keep sort of being the devil's advocate here because I, I'm still a little bit struggling, but I just want to say, doesn't everyone feel like they never got everything they wanted? I mean, wouldn't a husband also say the same thing? He was no, in a job he's... he didn't know. No, I mean, we're talking about profound societal changes, like where you like you didn't get to go to college. Like, you know, right, but let's say that, our generation. Right, that makes a difference. I'm, I'm in our generation now. I know you're referring to your mom. But when no, you, but I don't think so. I think oh. it, even in our generation, I didn't go right on to grad school because that just wasn't okay for a woman in in of in my family and and for many families. A lot of us were the first people in our families to go to college. I mean, I think we're the transitional 
generation and we've got some of both and we're, we're regardless on where we are we've got some feelings of oh my gosh you know I got too much more you know I got more than everybody else or I got less than everybody else and I've been trying to figure out how to find my footing not me personally mm-hmm. but I think just right, all right. of us right are yeah. you know I think it's a mixed bag for our generation and we're dealing we you know we had to deal with our own mother's sort of feelings of I think jealousy because I think what Rashka's saying is sometimes that jealousy comes out in like, oh, you've got that great job, but you know, you're living in New York and it's so expensive there. So it's, you know, so I'm proud of you that you've got this great job in New York, but you know, it can't be that great. Right. So yeah. it's, it's that sort of thing that I think the jealousy comes out. They want to feel proud, but they've got to find a way to sort of soften the deep hurt and grief. And that's how it sometimes comes out. Yes. I, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And the daughter too then can feel because she's primed to make sure mum's okay and my, my, it's going to actually, I mean, the worst case scenario is then actually start reducing her opportunities so not to upset mum. And that will absolutely make sure this pattern continues. But for the daughter to, to really know that actually mom, not take it as personally, that this is not, per, even though it might feel personal, it isn't personal because mum is actually expressing her grief in any in the way that she knows how to express it. Very interesting. So I guess we've sort of discussed almost all of these kinds of things, mother blaming. I mean, is there anything to add with why is our whole culture a society of mother blaming? You go to the therapist and they say, well, what did your mother do when you were little? Is there anything a mother, you know, are there any perfect mothers? <laughs> well, what, what is the definition of a perfect mother? I don't know. <laughs> Is there anyone at the therapist not talking about their mother? <laughs> well, I think firstly, what are the theories that the therapists have been taught to, to use? They have been created by men mostly. And attachment theory, though a pretty accurate, is Bowlby but and, and then Mary Ainsworth. But it's very much about mother blaming is about society not valuing mothers and making women mothers responsible for practically everything and letting fathers off the hook. I mean, a lot of the answer to this is that fathers need to be fathers need to step up to the plate and do fifty percent of the childcare. Yeah, and that's really not happening. Yeah. Even though all the two career couples, the mothers will tell you that they're doing ninety percent of the work, and people feel like they should still. I mean, I shouldn't. Say, I'm generalizing, but they still, you know, even though we say that man should chip in, it's sort of like, but you're not doing. You know, as a woman, you're not doing this. Well, can I ask a question? Because I hope it's okay, Denise to say that you had said, and of course I know and love your daughter, you sense that sometimes what you, that she says you're judgmental sometimes, which of course we are because, and so Denise asked, how does she improve this? How do we improve it? Because we're all judgmental at certain times. Any tips for that? Well, I would say before we judge anyone is to sort of ask what, uh, again, look at what's the daughter, ask the daughter, how's she feeling? What does she need? What's going on for her? Ask what it's like to be in your daughter's shoes. Mm-hmm. I think that's real. You're you're absolutely yeah. right with that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And it's almost impossible to get this right. Denise was saying about my daughter getting married. And when she got engaged, she said she wants this kind of wedding. She wants it in this place. So immediately I got started on it. And her fiance freaked out. Like he just was like, this is way too soon. What, why, you know, and I backed off. And just last week, I said something because I have not tried to be too involved or judgmental or, you know, got the budget and that I, but, and she said, well, mom, you overcorrected for, 
being not involved in, I was too involved at the beginning. And then I, and she said, well, you overcorrected. I'm like, can't we, can we ever win as mothers? We, can't win. we either do too much or too little. When in fact, actually, I mean, a lot of that is also about who has the say power. You, no, you decide if you're paying, you have the budget, but also, you know, who decides what happens. But underneath it all, yeah, whatever we do, we're set up to be to be criticised because it's yes. normal. Uh, Paula Kaplan writes in her book, um, the, the New Don't Blame Mother, it's like it's the air we breathe because that's what patriarchy does in order yeah. to. Here's a good example in a reader's question, and I think you could probably analyse this one pretty quickly. So this woman says that the daughter's biological father disappeared from their lives when they were early teenagers. She remarried. And their, her new husband, who is really essentially their father, they worship him. He's just been a great father, blah, blah, blah. But she wonders whether her relationship with her daughters, which is not great, is bad because she's being punished for her, their, their biological father leaving early. I see that a lot, actually. <laughs> I do, do see mothers get it in the neck when for the father's lack of involvement, bad behavior. It's the mother's fault. It's mother's fault. Mm-hmm. Yes, because she's the safe one to blame. Mm-hmm. She's the safe one. She's there. She's the safe one to blame rather than actually. So it, so working with mothers and teenage daughters, mothers and adult daughters, it is about where is the, where's, if the daughter is angry, where's the anger really coming from? Mm-hmm. It may all be directed at mum, but it actually may be at some of it needs to be. But mother's the easiest one to blame it on, right? Always. And is it because she'll always love you? Or just it's an easy blame? Well, we're primed to blame mum rather than dad. You know, dad does something and he's wonderful. Mum doesn't do something and she's she's neglected us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So she's so we're set up to blame mum and she's also always often the most available person to blame. So she has, she, she hasn't walked away, has she? So she's safe. I was going to say it all comes back to that burnt hamburger. It all comes back to the burnt hamburger. And, boy, I have so many memories <laughs> of that burnt hamburger. And I always, I mean, and I've got to really look back, I think that whole mapping thing and really looking at what you've contributed to it and also understand, even more importantly, understand where they are. And I don't think we all look at that completely. You know, I'm very fortunate that I was well-educated. My daughter's well-educated. You know, I don't think there's a lot of jealousy there and that's where maybe it's buried in. I don't know, but I don't really know where she is. I'm just, I admire everything she's accomplished. And she probably has some deep things that she would like to discuss or what she's seated in, you know, that I don't really understand or ask about. Can I just say on the surface, though, this generation, there's so much for us to be jealous of them for. I mean, really, they have. Why? They go to they travel around the world. For many of us, we married early. Um, You know, just I'm they've had these wonderful 20s where they have you know, their parents as a safety, there's a lot for us to be jealous of. We might not be aware of it or even like the fact that we're jealous of it, but I think it's there. I don't feel it because, I mean, I really, really don't because I think they're so young in their lives. I I look back to my twenties and thirties as, as wonderful, 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 wonderful. So yes, they travel more. They spend, maybe when they're 60, they'll realize they shouldn't have been spending all this money to travel to Acapulco or wherever for a bridal bachelor at party you know but again that's our little you know that's our judgment where I'm working really hard on this is their life I can't be judgmental I mean I still remember when I bought my first house in Denver I thought my parents were going to drop over dead when they saw the little 
you know, hut we bought or whatever. And it was a beautiful house, but you know, they were used to the Ohio suburbs and not the inner city Denver. Yes, but I think, and I think they were a little jealous. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you're right. But you know, jealous, you've got to think if you if somebody's got something that you desire, whether it's a, a trip to Acapulco or whatever, then you've got to think, okay, how, what do I need here? And actually, and, and give yourself permission to have it. That is so key. Yeah. yeah. Not the, the 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 hamburger that you desire, or the trip to goodness knows where that you desire. But underneath it all, it's not so much about the the you know the advances in terms of women's access to education. Da da da. It's the emotional relationship that's underneath it all in terms of the language that inquires after and listens to what women feel and need and desire and what women think. That was certainly missing in our mother's generation. It was certainly missing in my generation. And I think the women in their 20s and 30s are now waking up to the fact that that language has been missing and they want it and they see how important it is. And that's why a lot of mothers and uh, daughters are bringing their mothers into for couples therapy so that they can learn to, to communicate, I feel, I need, I desire, I think, rather than always fitting around everybody else, prioritising other people, particularly males in the family, and actually prioritising women, women's voices. So for, for listeners that might be struggling right now with relationships with their daughters, other than running out and buying your book immediately, which would be a great idea, and we'll have the link in our episode notes, what would you say are the two or three steps that they should begin now in understanding their daughters and themselves? Well, the first thing I would do is every morning you wake up, ask yourself, what do you need for today for yourself and even write it down. And then the next morning, check with yourself. Did you actually give yourself that? If not, why not? So start waking up that muscle in a sense of actually prioritizing yourself. That would go a long way. And also start seeing your daughter as a separate individual and start asking what to just listening to what she what's what's really going on for her emotionally wow i am really a poster child for the burnt hamburger that's all i'm going to say because i if you told me to wake up in the morning and say what do i want today my first thing would be you know everything i have to do for everyone else there would yeah. be you know other than maybe okay i really want to exercise today or whatever but i couldn't even identify what i want for a day in a day that is common that is incredibly common and you do yeah i need exercise i need a bath i need to have a massage to but when you start in the morning thinking oh yesterday so and so i didn't feel that person really understood what i was trying to say or i felt dismissed i need to come back to that conversation then you're getting somewhere because then you're starting to realize and wake up your your desire to not be dismissed in conversations, to actually be heard, to to be treated as a, as a valid voice and a valid person, rather than less equal or dismissed. I hear this all the time, and I still I still this is something I still have to work on this muscle because it's not within that conversation is not in society enough. It really isn't, and sometimes the mother that is thinking about herself is sort of looked at as selfish. Yeah, and that needs a ceremonial burning. I mean, (laughs) it really does. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. see, because that's how women are then shamed and blamed into taking care of themselves. That's mother blaming. We're selfish. Mm -hmm. I have to say, this is one of the most enlightening conversations because typically if we had someone on to talk about mother-daughter, they would say, well, 
you know, do this, do that, do this, do that. But it's really about looking into yourself and also seeing your daughter as a separate person and starting there. There isn't a magic formula. Not really. The only magic formula, I would say, is the equation, you know, being heard, being understood equals feeling loved. For mothers and daughters and for women, I think for human beings, is being heard and being understood. And that's usually what they're fighting over. They're not being heard. They don't feel understood. That's what fundamentally, that's what mothers and daughters fight over. And yet it shows up in all different ways. Oh, myriad of ways. Yeah. 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 Any other questions you have, Ellen? No, I think this has been really enlightening. I think it's it's even a bigger question about how do we tap into ourselves? I mean, if this really enlightens us, but we need to even talk more about, so how do we tap into desire and our own, you know, missed opportunities or, because part of it for us, I think is what you're saying is that we have to do a little grieving ourselves maybe. And even if we had the best lives ever, life, you know, when you get to a certain age, it's a lot about what won't I ever have because that those opportunities are gone. And I, for some people, it can be tough to see that in their, in their kids, or even if their kids aren't making the most of their opportunities, that's a different sort of loss. So regardless of who our kids are, we're always going to stress about anything. So it's, it's just part of being a mother. So I guess we always end our episode and you kind of did this, but I'm going to ask you to search really deep into that amazing brain of yours. What are two things you want to leave with our listeners after this conversation? Well, apart from the wake up in the morning and ask yourself what you need, do that. I would actually, yeah, I would really start looking at your and claim your your female history, your mother-daughter history, and really look at what was your mother's life like and what was your grandmother's life like and look at what they never got to be, which means can often give you a clue to what you might what what you might be desiring, but also the strength in that in in your family, because women there is always a ton of strength and resilience, ton to a fault sometimes, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the strength and resilience that flows through you to so also turn it into a celebration. So so the silence you might have inherited and the self neglect and the martyrdom and the burnt hamburger you might have neglected you've inherited. <laughs> Should we call this episode the burnt hamburger? <laughs> Like that. I think I think the burnt hamburger should be on the next mug. Right. Like <laughs> finish, finish. I'm sorry. Yes. But but also the strength and resilience and the wisdom that you've inherited in terms of, you know, like my grandmother, uh, three children through a Japanese concentration camp. I would love to know how heck she did that. How did she she wasn't thinking about herself though the whole time? Well, possibly not. And my grandmother never did. Her generation, but she also never, I think, got over not being able to. She wanted to be a singer and she wasn't allowed. Women in her her generation and her class were not allowed to be on stage. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. It's also important to say, too, because I think sometimes we can go the other way in everything in parenting, is that, oh, I didn't take care of myself enough, therefore I need to solely focus on myself and that's also not what you're saying it's it's an awareness it's you know motherhood comes with losses it's just from it's part of motherhood the whole point is to lose the kid at some point that's why we're you know this whole podcast is interesting because we're figuring out how to lose the kid in a way that is healthy and so so we have to just remember that this is not about only ourselves but about 
figuring out the balance. I absolutely, well, everything in balance, exactly, yeah, yeah. But I think generally the balance is out with women not getting enough, particularly mothers not getting no, you're enough. you're right, you're right, you're right. Re, re, readjusting the balance. That doesn't mean so we neglect our kids by any stretch of imagination, but try not to neglect yourself because that is good for your daughter to watch. You're right. Well, ladies, this episode is going to drop Mother's Day weekend. So I'd like to end with any of our listeners out there who are mothers. um, Happy Mother's Day. And maybe each of you can also give a message or a wish for the listeners on this special weekend, which I probably hate the most out of all holidays around. But anyway, go ahead. Oh, I'm not going to try and analyze that, Denise. Because I know we don't it's the burnt hamburger. I know. I know. <laughs> but, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, happy Mother's Day to to, to all of you. And again, yes, yeah, celebrate the power of mother motherhood as well. Because again, that's not celebrated in society. And really, Mother's Day should be every day. So, exactly. Celebrate <laughs> your power. Okay, Ellen. What's your wish or or happy whatever? (laughs) Oh, I would say figure out what you want to do that day and don't be disappointed if somebody else doesn't meet your needs, figure it out for yourself. Because I think that's where Mother's Day can be such a disappointment. That's exactly right. Somebody's going to read my mind and know exactly what I need that day and they can't. So we've got to be able to, we've got to be able to figure out what it is we want, which I know I struggle with it. I, you know, I can say this, but it's, it's difficult. No, it is. And I've learned through the years. That's yeah. We've all learned anyway. Um, thank you all. Thank you, Ellen. Great to have you with me this time. And Roshka, thanks for being here. What a great conversation. Thank you, both of you, um, Denise and Ellen. Thank you so much. Uh, I really love this. <laughs> this was, this was fun. We're a bit crazy, so we're a bit crazy, that which is uh, sort of fun, I guess. I'm going to go have myself a, a rare hamburger. So. <laughs> I'm going to press stop recording. So that's a wrap. I know I was playing devil's advocate a bit in this podcast, and I was glad Ellen and Roshka were there to help me see the light. I think it's clear that the mother-daughter conflict is not an easy fix. And through Roshka's research, she's realized if you don't dig deeper and you only concentrate on the issues or areas of conflict, you won't get anywhere. I would urge everyone to take a look at Roshka's book, The Mother-Daughter Puzzle. You can buy it on Amazon, get it at a local bookstore, download it on Kindle, or even get it from your library. Let's do the mother-daughter mapping and then follow her instructions on how to go about changing these generational themes. I think it would be a good exercise for all of us. And hey, after you've finished your mapping, visit my favorite shapewear company, shapermint.com. Truly, you guys, the bras are amazing. The one I like is the True Kind Daily Comfort Wireless Shaper Bra. Boy, that's a mouthful. I've not tried their other products, but I think to get a very comfortable bra that does its job for under $29, well, that's a steal. I'm not exaggerating when I say I have eight of them and I literally have thrown out all my other bras. Just go to shapermint.com, that's S-H-A-P-E-R-M-I-N-T.com, and use the code BITEYOURTONGUE for 20% off, and you will also support our podcast. Let's lift them up, ladies. And for you men out there, you could be a real star getting something like this for the lady in your life. Well, thanks for listening, and a huge thanks again to Connie Gorant Fisher, our audio engineer. 
Remember listeners, stay engaged, follow us on social media, and send us your ideas and questions to bitetonguepodcast at gmail.com. And of course, always remember when to bite your tongue.